0: Let Sean and Arabella know so they can bring the kids up. If not, one of you will remember. Then, then it's off of me. <laughs> oh, Lord, we uh, we thank you for the work you've already been doing in this service in people's hearts. And we just pray that that work of the Holy Spirit would continue now as as, uh, these next moments of time in your word take place, speak to us, draw us close to you, in Jesus' name, amen. Part number eight in our series through the epistles of St. John, now because there's some things that John repeats. A number of times in this letter and some of that has already been covered in, in previous messages so some of those I'm not going to spend a lot of time on just because I've kind of covered it. However repetition in the scripture is the way the scripture writers would emphasize something and so when John seemingly repeats this theme of love throughout his letter, we may think, oh, he's already said that. Oh, he's already said that twice. He's already said that three times. It's because it's that important that he repeated it and repeated it and repeated it. And so some of this might sound repetitious today, but if John repeated it, uh, I guess I don't have to feel too guilty for repeating some of those themes as well um, and that the theme is is love and I don't know if we can overemphasize loving one another or not um, I when I was between my junior and senior year of Bible College I was going to do an internship which I ended up doing in this little one-horse town in Iowa <clears throat> but I was in the running to be the intern for uh was a, a larger independent church in Youngstown, Ohio. And I was, I was one of three being considered and I, I didn't get selected. But anyway, the, the big push of that church was loving one another. And when I talked to the pastor, he says, pretty much every week, that theme is brought up in the message, to love one another. Uh, I, I uh, had a copy of his book. I don't even remember his name now. That was 100 years ago. And reading through the book, again, it was emphasized this theme of loving one another, that he, they've essentially built their church, rather a large church, on this theme that uh, we're to love one another. And so we, I, I shouldn't feel guilty about repeating a message about loving one another because it's that important. Uh, loving God and loving people. Uh, we can't overemphasize that. But uh, repetition in the scripture is like, like the writer highlighting something with a, with a highlighter before he sends it out. To the churches to be read aloud and so he highlights this theme uh, of, of love and some other themes in this letter because it's that important but I'm going to read the first 11 verses of, of uh, 1 John chapter 4 that's where we're at in our, our series 1 John chapter 4 verses 1 through 11 You are of God, little children, and you have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who does not, he who is not of God does not hear us. And By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested towards us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So John begins this section of the letter that we call chapter 4, again with that endearing term of beloved. This tender address reminds the reader that the subject matter that he's going to be dealing with is very important. And here he warns his readers not to believe every spirit, but to test them. Test them for what? To see if they are actually of God. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, we can look at these verses and get really kind of spooky spiritual about it and And testing the spirits here is is really pointing to the false prophets and the the false teachers, Uh, not really to the demonic spirits because you get a bunch of people, I'm gonna go into the demonic realm and I'm gonna test the spirits. That's not what he's talking about. That can get us into trouble. He's talking about testing the spirits of the prophets, the spirits of the false teachers to see if they're really of God or not. And that's what he's he's dealing with. He may be uh, pointing to the influence behind the false teachers, but how do you tell the influence behind the false teacher? You, you, You test the false teacher. You test the one that is doing the teaching. He's saying, don't believe everyone just because they're speaking under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Test them. Paul warned the Ephesian church, chapter 4, verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Too many are whisked away by the things that sound good because a few scriptures are thrown into the mix. Oh yeah, man, that sounds really good. He even found a scripture to back that up. You don't go to the scriptures to try to back something up. You go to the scriptures and develop what you believe, taking it out of scripture. You don't go uh, developing an idea and then trying to support your idea by backing it up. See, exegesis is pulling out of the scripture what it says. Eisegesis is when you do a search to try to find something in scripture to support your wacky idea. And we got a lot of that going on. We've got a lot of that going on today as we have throughout the history of, of the church. Uh, you now people will hear something else that sounds good. Well, this I heard this. Oh, that sounds good, so I'm going to follow after that. Oh, that sounds good too, and I'm going to follow after that. Oh, this sounds good too, and I'm going to follow after that. And none of it, maybe none of it, is really of God. Maybe it really isn't what the scripture is teaching. But because it sounds good, a lot of people are blown to and fro from one teaching to the other uh, and we can get into a lot of trouble. You see what we believe is important not only because it shapes our behavior but because it shapes what we believe about God. So we need to be sure that what we're hearing taught is of God that it is really is this really what God is saying is this really what the scripture is saying because if we get a false idea from the scripture that's going to somehow develop into a false concept we have about God so we wanna make sure that that we are are, are understanding the scripture, we wanna make sure we're not developing things that really aren't biblical truths. You see, this is what has, over the years, caused the church to develop what's called creeds. Okay, this is what we believe, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven, earth, and earth, and goes on and on and on. And say, and, and we have these creeds because there apparently were problems in the church and to, to get everybody on board with what the church is gonna believe, they developed these creeds and the people would recite the creeds that would kind of give the borders of their, their, their belief system. You see, when, when, we put, when we put a fence around something, we think, well, it's being a restriction, I'm being restricted by this fence. No, that fence is keeping you from going over the edge and crashing the fence. The border is for your safety, not to keep you in uh, and restrict you from going out, but to keep you from hurting yourself. That's what the commandments of God were. The commandments were to keep the people from hurting themselves. And so when there's all kinds of false teachings going on, the church developed creeds to say, okay, if we hold to these creeds, you're going to keep from hurting yourself and getting off on some wacky idea that's going to end up your, distorting your view of who God is. How we view God is important because if we view God as anything other than how he is revealed in scripture and most importantly how he is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, we are guilty of idolatry because we've now created a God in our own image. And so we, we, we want to be sure that we're not making up our, our doctrines. We want to make sure that who we're listening to isn't making up doctrines because that's going to distort our view of God and we're going to end up creating a God of our liking. Solid doctrine is essential. Solid doctrine is essential. Paul and Silas along with Timothy, went into the city of Berea and preached the gospel in the synagogue. And the Bereans there, the the Jewish people in the city of of Berea, they were commended for receiving the word that that they heard preached through through Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They, They were commended for that, they received the word, but... They were also commended for searching the scriptures daily to find out whether the things they heard, the things they heard preached, were actually true. So you know what you say sounds good, but uh, I'm going to look for it in here. I'm going I'm to search the scriptures. You know, it sounds good, but I want to make sure it is good. And so they searched the scriptures daily to make sure the things that the apostles were preaching was actually the truth. So they confirmed the message they heard with the scriptures. There's a lot of voices out there calling for our attention. There's a lot of voices out there teaching. There are a lot of sharp, uh, a lot of uh, con artists out there using the name of Jesus. Um, And so we we really need to be careful. I mean, you can turn on the TV and you can hear a lot of shams. You can hear a lot of uh, uh, charlatans. Any any hour of the day, you can turn on TV and you can find a charlatan talking about Jesus and proclaiming something that's not of God. You need to be careful. We need to really be careful. So we need to test the spirits, test the voices that we're hearing, whether they are of God. This is what John is telling his his readers here. Don't believe everything you hear. And maybe and only half the things you see. <laughs> Some things just aren't right, but yet they're being promoted and put forth as if they are the word of God, when in fact they may not be. So in verses 2 and 3, John addresses a particular false teaching that was on the rise in his day. And we've already mentioned this uh, in previous weeks, but uh, we've mentioned the Gnostics and their belief that knowledge was of supreme importance over and above behavior. That it really, it really doesn't matter how you act as long as you have this knowledge. And John is saying, oh, that, that, that ain't right. That ain't right. Another group closely related to the Gnostics was the Docetists. Uh, and essentially, they denied the actual humanity of Jesus, only emphasizing his divinity. Okay. They denied that Jesus, the Christ, came in the flesh. And so when he is talking here that by this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. He's, he's addressing this, this group, Gnostics and maybe the Docetists, that said, okay, there was this man, Jesus, but then the Christ came upon him. Maybe at his baptism. And then just before going to to the cross, the Christ departed and the man Jesus died on the cross. And John says that's baloney. Jesus, the Christ, came in the flesh. The Christ didn't come upon Jesus and then depart from Jesus. There is no separating the Christ from the Jesus. And so he's addressing this. This is specifically what he is addressing in this chapter. And so, you know, we might say, well, there are people today that don't believe that Jesus really lived. Okay, that's not what he's talking about. You know, that's a whole other issue. That's just denying history. But uh, John is addressing a very specific situation here. He's saying that those people aren't of God. If they don't believe that the Christ came in the flesh they're not of God Um, they denied this group actually denied the humanity of the Christ emphasizing only the the divinity uh, of, uh, of Jesus the Christ only seemed this is what the word docetism means it means to seem to seem to uh, take on the appearance of a human form he really wasn't a human form he was just appearing to be in human form and John says that 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 person's not of God if that's what they believe came upon uh, the Christ didn't just come upon Jesus Jesus is the Christ and he came uh, as the Christ he didn't uh, inherit the Christ for a short period in his life Uh, the first place heresy can be found where false belief can be found is when it comes to the person of Jesus. Heresy always attacks who Jesus really is. Well, Jesus was a created being. Okay, that's heresy. You're attacking the person of Jesus. Well, he was uh, a human, but then the Christ came upon you. No, that's not true. That's heresy. The first place heresy begins is with a person's view of Jesus. And so John is addressing that problem in the church. Uh, right belief about Jesus is essential to Christian doctrine. To minimize or deny the divinity Jesus, the, the divinity of Jesus is false doctrine. To minimize or deny the humanity of Jesus is also false doctrine. Jesus was fully God and fully man.
1: Hallelujah. Amen.
0: And to depart from that is getting off into an area that is not true. That is what we call heresy, false teaching. This is a specific problem John is addressing when he says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. Of course, this isn't the only test of sound doctrine, but this is the first test for the situation John was dealing with, those who denied the humanity of Jesus. And then he goes on to say, That this is the idea, this idea is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and is already now in the world. The the Antichrist spirit is one that denies who Jesus is. It denies either his his divinity, uh, his humanity, his purpose for coming, or the, the importance of his sacrifice. See, that is a spirit of Antichrist that denies any of those things. Uh, Jesus, if Jesus wasn't fully divine, he couldn't be our savior. If he wasn't fully human, he couldn't be our substitute right. on the cross. That's why we can't minimize his divinity or his humanity. They are both of equal importance. You can't. It's like it's like it's like trying to uh, it's trying like trying to split a piece of paper edgewise. You can't do that with Jesus either. You can't split his divinity from his humanity. If you try to do that, you're getting off into error. So after stating. Now we're down to verse 4. After stating that those who deny that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh are not of God, he tells his readers, but you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. They were of God because they held to the true doctrine of Jesus Christ, the God-man, equally God, equally man. They held to that, and because they held to that, they were able to... uh, be called by John that you are of God. You haven't been deceived. You haven't been blown around by every wind of doctrine that comes along. You hold to the truth that we've proclaimed from the very beginning. And he says that you have overcome them, them being the false prophets. Prophets, the false teachers. They overcame them by holding to the truth and not being led astray by their false teachings. He tells them that they were able to do this because he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Amen. You held to the truth because he who is in you is great, and in fact, greater than he that is in the world. The spirit of Christ in us is greater than the spirit of Antichrist in the world. And of course, the influence behind the false prophets and the Antichrist is Satan himself. But John is saying that God is more powerful by far than the devil, and those who God dwells in are those who are able to overcome evil. You're able to overcome evil by God who dwells in you, by the Spirit of Christ who dwells in you. You are able to overcome because Greater is that spirit who is in you than the spirit that is in the world. Now, verses 5 and 6 those of the world are contrasted with those who are of God. Those of the world listen to the false prophets. Because they are speaking of worldly things you know I've harped on TBN a lot of times there's a lot of whack jobs on that station I tell you I tell you be careful be careful who you listen to when you turn on any TV station, any radio station. But man, TVN seems to be like flypaper for heresy. Be careful. Be careful out there. He goes on to say, those who know God hear us or hear our message. And those who don't know him don't hear us. This is how we can distinguish between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, now we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which are man's wisdom, which man's wisdom teaches, but by, the Holy, by what the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. People of the world will hear worldly things. Spiritual people in Christ will hear spiritual things of Christ. This warning is what John is. He's warning his peeps. He's warning his peeps. Test the spirits. Don't believe everything that you hear. Put them to the scriptural test. So that you can know the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And then John somewhat swiftly switches back to the theme of loving one another. He warns them about false teachers, <laughs> kind of like, I just warned you about the false teachers. we we'll get off that and get back to loving one another after that warning has gone forth. So somewhat abruptly, he shifts back to the theme of loving one, or one another, verse 7 through 11, and he exhorts his readers to love one another. And we've seen this a few times already in this letter. Why are we to love one another? Because love is of God. It's the God thing to do. Loving one another is just the thing God's kids do. It's the God thing to do, is to love one another. Again, we see love as the test of our true spirituality. You know, our our test of our spirituality isn't by how high we jump up and down in church. The test of our spirituality isn't even if we operate in the gifts of the Spirit. The test of our true spirituality is whether we love one another.
1: Glory. Hallelujah. Amen. Yes.
0: This is what John is hitting time after time in this letter. Those who love are showing evidence that they know God, those who do not love are showing evidence that they do not know God. This is what John is saying. So love one another. Then we come to that great very short phrase, just three little short words at the end of verse 8 It says God is love. Why are we to love? Because love is of God but also because God is love. This means more than God is loving. God is loving is what God does. But God is love. It's his nature. It is his nature to be love. And then out of his nature is his action of loving. But God is love, which is more than God is loving. It means that God's essential nature is love. He loves, so to speak, not because he finds objects worthy of his love but because it's in his nature it is his nature to love for his love his love for us depends not on what we are but on what he is he loves us because that's the kind of god he is that's just it's just who he is You know, there are certain things that a Christian should be because it should be part of our nature. It should be part of our nature to love. It should be part of our nature to be forgiving. It should be part of our nature to be gracious. It should be part of our nature to be merciful. It should be part of our nature to be kind. Because we are in Christ. And if Christ is those things, then we should be those things. Just be as, as it is in his nature to be those things, it should be our nature to be those things. Verse... I skipped a couple of points, but to say this, there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Because God is love. You can't change that in him. Well, if I do this, this, and this, maybe God will love me more. No, he's already 100% love. Well, if I do this, this, and this, God isn't going to love me as much. No, God is 100% love. You're, you're, You're not going to change the fact that he is love. You're not that great. You're not that great to change who God is. Nobody is. We don't change God's love. God's love changes us. Because God is love. Hallelujah. Preach. And verse nine. Verse 9 echoes John 3.16. Verse 9 says, In this the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. As you read that, you can almost hear John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. John who wrote that, John 3.16, wrote this, 1 John 4.9. It's like he's reiterating what he said in his gospel, in that verse. God proved, showed, manifested his love by sending his Son, that through him we might have life. We come to Jesus and he gives us life. The idea that God is love isn't a mere concept, but something that he has proven and demonstrated in the person of Jesus Christ, who came and lived and walked among us in the flesh, in a real physical body. So that we could have life through him. Our relationship with God, the starting point is always his love for us. You never, no one ever initiates love for God. God always initiates love for us. He initiated the relationship. He did the pleading for us to come to him. Jesus paid for that relationship and he offered that love to us he did that already to say I know God doesn't love me so if I do this and if I do that I'm going to initiate this relationship with God no heresy no it's not how it works how it works is God loves us first, and then we respond to his love. We respond to his love. Man never takes the initiative in loving God. God loved us first. Our love for him is merely our response to his love for us. Again, we see in there, there in verse 10 that word that we saw back in the second chapter, that word propitiation. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but just a reminder, that word means satisfaction. He is the propitiation for our sins. He is the satisfaction. He is what satisfies God's judgment on sin in our lives. He satisfies that. Sin demanded that the wrath of God be poured out upon it and be punished. And through his atoning sacrifice on the cross, that demand is satisfied.
1: Yes. It's finished. It's a done deal. It's done.
0: (laughs) That Jesus is the propitiation, not just for us, but for the whole world, demonstrates the love that God has for us. And since he took away that which was keeping us from him, we are now free to respond to his love. And love him in return. Amen. The thing that was keeping us from God Stop. has been taken away, yes. has been torn down, and now we are free to respond to God's love, because He took the initiative and loved us first. Amen. Then verse 11, "Beloved, if God so loved us, if God loved us that much, we also to love one another. Part of our response to loving God is our loving of others. In fact, our love for others is reflective of our love for God and a gauge to measure the depth of our relation, our, our love for God. Want to know how much you love God? Measure it against how much you love other people. Well, I tolerate people. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's how much you love God. Man, I just, you know, I love people, you know. I go out of my way and I'll do what I can to love people. That's how much you love God. You know, I'm only in it for me. I don't care about everybody else. That's how much you love God. How we love others measures how we love God. When we embrace the fact that God loves us, we are compelled to love others. If God forgave us, we are compelled to forgive others. If God showed us mercy, we are compelled to show mercy to others. If God showed us grace, we are compelled to be gracious to others. Because God loved us, we also ought to love one another. We are in the season on the church calendar called the Lenten season. As we begin focusing on Jesus' death on the cross. And that's what our communion service does. We focus on what Jesus did for us on the cross. As God demonstrated his love for us by sending Jesus. And Jesus love for us by dying for us. And so that's what we we call to mind during this Lenten season where we focus on this, this journey from what began Wednesday on what's called Ash Wednesday on through Good Friday, the day that Jesus was crucified. We focus on this Lenten season on what Jesus did for us. That there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for his friends, but I said Jesus took it even a farther because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right. We weren't even his friends and he died for us. So he took the max and took it even a step further.
1: Glory. Thank you, Lord.
0: And then when that was accomplished, he was able to say, it is finished. It is finished. What he came to do when he, he died on the cross he was able to declare, it is finished. Mission accomplished. And this is what we contemplate. So if Sally, if you want to come on up and if somebody could bring Sean and Arabella up and the kids. So as, we, as we've emphasized how God demonstrated his love for us, think about that. that thought as you come to communion today that God loved you that much that he sent Jesus and take take some time during these next few weeks before we get to Good Friday and then ultimately the day of celebration of, of Resurrection Sunday just take a Take a few moments now and then throughout these next weeks, maybe even on a daily basis, to think about what Jesus actually did and accomplished for you and for us. So as, as Sally sings, uh, we can come on up, take a cup and a piece of the bread... Find a place up front here. And then once everybody's gone through the line, we'll partake together. We'll pray and then we'll partake together. And then, Scott, be ready. Let's do that that one song again. That, yeah, that, that Say Amen song. Free Amen. Great Yeah, whatever it was. I don't even know the name of it. Never heard it before today. got
1: Free
0: Amen. Okay. We'll do that at the conclusion. That'll be our closing song after communion. But... Uh, Let's uh, let's come, let's come, and contemplate the love of God as evidenced in the death of Jesus on the cross. Let's come. All are are, all are welcome. All are invited.
1: I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder could love me a sinner condemned unclean Sweat drops of blood for my in pity